Welcome to Tapping Into Spirit, where we discuss and explore issues related to spirituality in a manner that questions everything. We start from a premise that everything comes from somewhere and work to understand the unexplainable. We always endeavor to have a great time discussing a serious topic with the hopes of offering inspiring thoughts and ideas that allow for growth, evolution, and transformation. We always begin by inviting Spirit to join us in this conversation and guide our words and intentions so that we express things in a manner that is true and inspirational. And we are always thankful and extremely grateful for the opportunity to serve. Greetings and welcome to the next episode of Tapping Into Spirit. I'm your co-host, Dr. Anthony Smith, and I'm joined today by my colleague, friend, brother from another mother from millions of years ago. Dr. Adisa Ajamu, who's here to join me to talk about um, spirituality and his take on spirit and how it, how it, how he understands it and how it has flowed and manifested in his life. Um, good evening, brother. How are you doing? I'm good, man. Good to see you and uh, good to be here and to have a chance for us to, you know, to, to chop it up uh, publicly for conversations that we've had a thousand times over. <laughs> <laughs> privately <laughs> absolutely so so let me set the table here um so we met in 1991 at a black psychology conference um introduced by uh, dr thomas parham who was um your mentor and uh, a mentor of mine as well but you works a, a whole lot more closely with him. He was the reason why I went to graduate school where I went to graduate school, gave me a call one Sunday night <laughs> out the blue when I had made my decision to go somewhere else the next day. Mm. And he called me that Sunday night and changed my mind and the rest is history. And so we were both in the hotel room or rather in the hotel lobby and he introduced right. us and we began talking and ended up hanging out the whole conference and been friends and colleagues ever since. Yeah. You remember that? Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. I, you know, I, 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 you know, I remember us, you know, the rooms weren't ready. So everybody was like, so we had been introduced and we all just sitting in the lobby and we just started, you know, chopping it up. And it's kind of like, just like, you just want to say like, literally like, people think about like um, love at first sight when they think about like in the amorous way, but it was like, just we just had a connection and it was, wasn't anything planned. We just decided like everywhere you was at, I was at. That was just how it was, you know, but the whole car was like literally like, and it was just, it was no, I don't think there was any point that we just, we just had a conversation about like being friends. It was just kind of just understood. Like this is, you know, we just, we just rocking and, and uh, that's how it's been, you know. Uh, in fact, uh, I was telling somebody that, that uh, when you had to cope, uh, uh, for your internship in North Carolina, and I was going uh, to start a uh, graduate school at Howard. Mm -hmm. You know, we drove across country in, my, in, a, in a 1981 Honda Honda Accord <laughs> that the that the Babala who gave us Babala Ibiyemi had said to me, "You know, do you think this is gonna make it?" I'm like, "Well, you the Babala, you tell me." Because <laughs> we rolling this baby out, and it was mm -hmm. you know, like the rule was, if you ain't if you ain't driving, you need to be sleeping because we got places to be. 
Right. And uh, literally, we, we drove across country and, and uh, you know dropped you off in Durham, and then I went off to to, uh, to DC and, and, and began you know our, our journey, our professional journey. Yeah, yeah drove so. from from LA to to Las Vegas to St. Louis to right. <laughs> Tennessee, and then <laughs> that was that was a trip. That was a trip. Um, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. So, you know, from, from the time we met and we started talking from, from conscious psychological terms, African-centered psychology mm. and friendship group, you know, the other interesting thing is that we both are born on the same day, November 18th. Right. And <laughs> right. So another solidifying fine piece. And then we got another brother, right. Who, right. Jermaine, who also was born on our same day, was a psychologist down in right. uh, Tallahassee, uh, uh, chair of the, the psychology department down there, the one of the premier, preeminent uh, black psychology departments in the country at Florida A&M University. Mm -hmm. Shout out to Brother Jermaine down there. Uh, but yeah, yeah so, we, so, so now, so now, so now, now our Scorpios representing, but but the Scorpios won on November eighteenth. That's right, <laughs> representing <That's> right. strong. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Um, so. That was on the psychology tip, and over the over about four years, we developed a you know a very close friendship and a, a bond where there was a there was an implicit level of trust. And so, at some point during my fifth year, nineteen ninety five, you had me come out to Oakland where you were working with Doctor Nobles, and mm -hmm. had me come out there to do some work with y'all uh, on on a contractual basis, get some experience in. You said to me, I want you to come have this experience with me. I want you to just trust me. You know how I am. I'm a critical thinker like you. So just come trust me and just sit and have this experience. And I said, okay. <laughs> and then you took me uh, to the house of this Babalawa, this Nigerian, uh, or rather, mm -hmm. uh, uh, this uh, priest of Ifa in the Nigerian system. Mm -hmm. And uh, mm -hmm. it was there that I sat down and this this guy asked me my name and my birth date and um, mother's maiden name, I think. And then he began to um, tell me things about myself that nobody, I had, I had never told anybody. And I was mm -hmm. going, what in the hell <laughs> have you brought me to? But I knew um, <laughs> afterwards that something had changed in my whole makeup in terms of my understanding. I didn't understand what had occurred, but I knew that something profound had just happened in my life. And that was the introduction into <laughs> my uh, conscious exploration of African spiritual systems and really um, many different spiritual systems. And um, since that time, in 1995, I've grown in, in tremendous leaps and bounds in, in my understanding and just kind of how I carry it. Um, so I want to set that as the as the <laughs> foundational backdrop right. of, of kind of how I'm even doing this podcast um, even right now. That was a, a integral part of kind of getting that jump started, right? <laughs> Um, yeah, so, so, I, so I would just I would I would just add this, this small corrective here that I didn't say that I was a critical. Thing. I said I'm a cynic. I'm a New Yorker, so we cynical about everything. So when that's I said right. to you, look, man, that's you know, correct. I'm a cynic. I don't trust. I don't trust nothing. That's right. That's <laughs> so, right. You know, you know, 
saying this is bona fide. Because <laughs> I, I, I question everything. So, you know, I, the, the, the critical thinker part was, was, was on its way to being developed, but the New York cynic in me was working strong. So That's I was like, right. so I said, you know, if I'm, you know, if I'm telling you, you know, if I'm telling you this is bona fide, bro, it's bona fide. Right. And that's how you got me in. And <laughs> there have been many times since then that I that I've said, how in the why in the world am I doing this? How did I get here? And I go right back to that moment. I go, Arnisa. <laughs> that's that's what got me in. Um, and, and so it's had, it's had its ups and downs, but you know, it's blessing mm. and and ultimately it has certainly enriched and, and enlightened and, and lifted up my life. And I know that I'm doing the work that I'm here to be doing and, and it is good work and I'm, I'm happy. Right. But, um, so, so that's kind of the, the backdrop of that. I want you to t say a little bit before we jump into the weeds of current, uh, just tell the people a little bit about you and how you got to even have spirituality as something that is, uh, a prominent aspect, a prominent part of your life. Well, so you know, like I said, I'm, I'm from the from the South Bronx, and uh, you know, I grew up uh, there. And uh, I began a career when I was like nine years old in street pharmaceutical sales, right? Mm -hmm. So, so, uh, so I was, you know, so I'm I'm just a young cat from the cut, and literally, you know, that like like everybody else, like you figure, okay, your prospects is basically in this neighborhood, applying this trade and trying to do the best you can, you know, to to to, to, to to really gain power. I mean, it wasn't even about money. It was more about power and influence and 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 having people cross the street when you walking down the street and those kinds of things. And so um, I actually got, I actually ended up getting pulled into the game because I was literally, I was sitting on a stoop. I'll never forget it was, I was just about to turn 10. And sitting, you know, in New York City, everybody sits on the stoop in the summertime, sitting on the stoop and uh, this white cat comes through and then, you know, this is the 70s. So basically people are, you know, uh, Heroin or what we call horse or smack is basically a drug of choice. It's long before crack, the crack thing becomes a thing. And so the dude asked if, I, if he asked me if I knew anybody who sold smack. And across the street from us was, of course, it was a drug house. And I said, I said, nah, I don't know, I don't know nobody like that. And so the white cat just kept on walking. And then this cat uh, named Scooney, who was coming from across the street, and Scooney's like 18 at the time. And you know, when you when you're nine years old, 18 is like somebody grown. So like here comes this grown man. And he said, so he started asking me, like, so you know, basically he was cussing me out, like, you know, what, you know, what did the, what did the white dude want? I said, he, he was asking for, you know, for smack. And I told him, I didn't know where that was at. He was like, MF, you know, I'm right across the street. Like, what, you know, why are you in my FF? You know, so I'm looking to my boys, there's six of us. They all gone. They all ran back into the, they ran to the apartment. I'm, I'm sitting on the stoop by myself. I'm, my, my legs are, uh, are shaking. And I'm just trying to explain to my, you know, like, I just, you know, so a week later, me and my boys, we all sitting on the stoop again. Here comes Scooney again, and they sitting with me. And then I look around, they gone. I'm still sitting there. So, so he says, he says, so he says, so he says, so little nigga. So why did you, why did you tell the white boy to, to keep rolling? I said, well, because his clothes was raggedy, but his shoes were shine. And you know, I know that you know five O was like in, in those days, like five O was standard issue that you know you wore your shoes shine. So I looked at his shoes. I figured he was five O. He looked at me and said, yeah, he was five O. Little nigga, you, you you got talent. So he like, so he's like, so he paid, start paying me two hundred dollars a week at nine. I was just about to turn ten to, as a lookout. Now you know, this is the days where basically you was balling if you went to the store. And your mama said you could keep the change. You know what I'm saying? Like you went to the right. store, like you keep the change. Like I'm rich. Like somebody talking about two hundred dollars a week. Like man, like I'm 
I felt like I was, you know, Warren Buffett, you know, Bill Gates. Okay, so that's how that's how it sort of began. And then, like you know, in every kind of uh, business, you kind of just you move up the ladder. My mom was concerned about that, and so we ended up moving from uh, New York City to to Los Angeles. When you're poor, you don't move from you know your your quality of life don't change because you move to another city, right? Right. You know? And where I'm from, like you know, the hood, everybody from the hood knows categories of poverty, right? There's poor, there's poor, and there's poor. Like you're so poor, you can't afford the two O's and the R. <laughs> and my people's a puh. So when we moved to we moved to Watts, you know, it was it was it was the hood all over again, but it was different because the automobile changed the nature of the game, right? When you're on public transportation, you can't do no in New York City, you can't do no drive-bys, right? Everything is up close and by. Like you can't you can't do it, you can't do a run by and you be waiting for the bus or the subway, right? So right, right. what cars did is they allowed they allowed they allowed people to they allowed you to, to distribute violence indiscriminately because you didn't, you know, you could drive 20 minutes from your house and just spray into a neighborhood and then be gone. It wasn't a personal thing. Whereas in New York City, you had to get up close on somebody to make something happen. So between the car and the escalation of drug traffic, you know, I'm, so I'm, 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 I got back involved in the game and so on and so forth. But I was also a pretty good athlete. I played football and I played basketball and I was getting really good at basketball. And so uh, I eventually just ended up getting a scholarship to go to uh, Concordia University in Irvine. And that was the difference, you know. I, I literally it took me out of an environment and put me someplace that was away from home in a whole new. And I showed up. I took. I looked like Doughboy from uh, Boys in the Hood when I showed. I had a Jerry Curl and khakis and Mr. T starter kit when I showed up. But that was. But that's how we dressed in the neighborhood, and uh, and that was the beginning of of the process. And so you mentioned uh, Dr. Parham, and I always tell people like, look, the reason I became a psychologist because Dr. T was a psychologist. If he'd been a botanist. I'll be talking to you right now about the secret life of plants. It's not that simple. Like, uh, this is what this cat was doing. And I remember having a conversation with him in his office. I was like, you know, uh, he said, what do you want? I said, what do you, what do you do? I said, man, you got a fine wife. You drive a Benz. You dress nice. What do you do? You don't look like you work that hard. He's like, I'm, I'm a counselor psychologist. That's what I want to be. If, you can, if, I can, if I can drive a Benz, have a dope wife, it, it don't have to work that hard, I'm all in. And, now, didn't you, uh, didn't so you start off um, in uh, religion? Yeah, so I so so I went to college to be a, a, a Lutheran pastor. Now, and, now, uh, how does so, one go from a narcotics distributor to a Lutheran pastor? <laughs> so, like, 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 so, like, 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 everybody, you know, growing up, like, you know, there's there is the life you have outside your mama's house, the life you have in your mama's house, and in my mama's house, you know, we went to church. And uh, my mama wasn't all that religious, but the Lutheran church was across the street from my house, and it meant that my mom could sleep. So that's how we ended up becoming Lutherans. <laughs> and so when, when I, so when, so when Concordia University recruited me, you got to choose a major. And I was, you know, I was pretty, I was, like, like most black men in the church, if you had the gift for gab, they automatically just tagged you for being part. You should be a preacher. Like if you would come from front of audiences, you could talk, you could move the crowd. And so people tell me like I had the gift, you know, God had blessed me. I'm like, okay, I don't know if God had blessed me or not, but if this gonna if this gonna get me out of here, I, I'm gonna ride this ticket to the end. So, so I went to because uh, because Christ Lutheran Church was gonna give me a scholarship in addition to the money that I was getting from the, for basketball if I chose to be a pastor. And I'm like, man, look, it, it seems good to me. You're gonna have a parsonage, life's gonna be cool. I, I'm ride with it. So I went I went to I went to Concordia University to be a Lutheran pastor. And I think by the second, by my sophomore year, it dawned on me, as the Bible says, many are called, but few are chosen, that I wouldn't be the one of those two. <laughs> and that I needed to move, keep it moving. Because one thing I was clear about was this. 
if I was going to be a pastor, I didn't want to be that kind of dude that was like, okay, you, you are, uh, if on Sundays, everybody respects you, but throughout the rest of the week, you sleep with, with different women in the congregation. And that, like, I, I knew me and I knew that, that, um, that part of my life was not under control. And I just didn't want that. I knew enough to know I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to be that kind of pastor. I wanted to be, if I couldn't do it all the way, I, I, want, to be, I didn't want to be it at all. So I started looking for other things. So I, so I literally transferred out of, uh, I changed majors and took on sociology and world religion as my minor. Since I was no longer going to be, you know, I thought I was no longer going to be uh, a pastor. I still kept taking those classes. And so as a result, you know, I learned Korean Greek and Hebrew and, you know, and to this day have a, a fairly good command of, of, of scriptural text, which has helped me in other areas. But I, I knew that I was going to make a shift. And so at that point, it was just a question like, well, how do you survive and, and, uh, and move forward? And, and I was still Christian. I was still, I just knew I didn't want to be a pastor. And I think by the time I had gotten to be a senior, I had enough questions about Christianity to be like, oh, maybe I'm not a Christian. Maybe I'm just a Christian because my mama was a Christian, my grandmama was a Christian, all the people in my family are Christian. The same reason I was a Democrat. And uh, I, so I began to ask some, some questions about that, but I was afraid to ask questions of myself because I was afraid of the answers. I, in the back of my mind, I always had this fear of like, okay, well, what if I'm the only person that don't, you know, don't get to heaven? So I, you know, so I died and everybody else is in heaven. I'm outside the gate banging, you know, but I didn't get in. And so it was, it was less about um, a desire to be a Christian or continue being a Christian and more about the fear of not being a Christian. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I kind of was in that and kind of in that space where I'm, I'm a Christian, but not really, but kind of sort of, you know, if you ask me, okay, what are you? I'm a Christian, but, but I was really sort of moving away from that. And I think, you know, uh, around that time, probably my sophomore year, I, I, I got involved with, uh, was influenced by uh, an anthropology grad student by the name of of, uh, Erlene Piper Mandy, who recently transitioned. Uh, She was finishing her PhD. And uh, and Erlene was very instrumental in like really helping change my consciousness because she was talking about she can't have the job, but by Africa being a cradle of civilization. And the more I read and the more that I studied, I was like, I didn't know any of this. And it took me in other directions because it made me, you know, again, the New York cynic, I was like, okay, well, how is how can these two things be true, right? If the if the origin of human civilization is in Africa, that means that the first people were African, which means that Adam and Eve were African, which means that Adam and Eve had to have spoken to each other in an African language. If they're the first people, and so why why are we reading texts in Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic? And um, you know, as I talked to clergy and other folks, I kept being um, told that I shouldn't even ask the question. Like they weren't, they weren't even willing to entertain the question, that the, that the question itself was blasphemous. And I started really? asking other kinds of questions that just, yeah, yeah. Mm. And I started asking other kinds of questions that just, they, they just thought that that was just blasphemous. Like, okay, so look, if you got an ark and you got two of every kind of animal, some animals are natural prey and some animals are natural predators. So how they how they worked it out? Some animals ain't indigenous to that region. How that worked it out? So. So, I, so, so in class, I started getting identified as a troublemaker, like, like the, the cat who's the heretic. But I'm like, like these are basic questions. Like, I'm like, yo, you got an ark, right? You got to pull these people. But there's some animals that are indigenous. So, so how did they work that plan out? Right. And they kept saying, look, you know, certain things you just, you know, certain things you just have to go by on faith. And I'm like, I'm, and again, I was like, I'm on, I'm all with you on the faith piece. But there's some stuff like we should, we should have to take on faith. Like two plus two is four. I shouldn't have to be like two plus two, and I got faith that it's going to be four, four. Right. And I think that at that point, you know, um, both being inquisitive and being a black man made me uh, unpopular 
on campus in classrooms like that, you know, uh, and so I had to find other places where uh, my intellectual curiosity could be satisfied. And I found that with Dr. Parham and in psychology, because I could ask questions that didn't have um, answers already pre-formulated. And that was, uh, that was important to me, you know, that I, I, was, I was more open to the fact that of somebody saying they didn't know than to simply make up an answer or to discourage me from uh, going further into, into studying it. So that was really kind of the thing that really that made me say, okay, maybe this is just not for me. Why do you think um, there is this, because I, I hear this a lot of times from people who have had a similar experience. They ask these questions and it gets shut down. It's like, Oh, some things God doesn't want you to know. What, what's your um, answer to why you think that happens? Because uh, I, I think that that uh, every if every question is entertained honestly, um, asks the person who's been who's responding to the question to answer it themselves, even as they're answering it for you. So it's, so it's so it's almost like it's not a it's almost like the question is is, is asking them to also interrogate the question themselves. And if you've already positioned yourself where your faith won't allow you to go that far, like there's a mental block that just won't allow you to go that far, then then the question itself is problematic because the person not, is not just asking you asking you the question for that for answer for themselves. They're also putting you in the position where now you got to answer it too, and your answer just like you know you were parents, you know that there are things that your children have asked you that in the answering of it let you know, okay, look, I need to come, I need to come better, <laughs> like like, right. like I need to show up differently, like you know. Okay, well, well, Dad, if you if you said that basically I should I shouldn't be watching TV while I do while I do my work. Why are you watching TV while you doing your work? Then it's like, okay, now you got to now you got to answer that right. question. And in the answering of it, you reveal to yourself, okay, yo, you know, I ain't coming correct. I think that's part of I think that's part of of of, of the challenge, is that people don't want their that the question is challenging their faith as much as you are trying to figure out your own. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned the mental block being there in terms of them not wanting to go further. How do you think that mental block got there? You, you think people are born with a mental block, or is it something that develops along the way? I think I, I think it's fear. I think fear, you know, uh, makes us puts us in positions where we will ask some questions and not others, um, see some opportunities and pass on others. Um, so fear is, you know, it, it, it fear has a powerful. I'm learning this even in my, in my own life right now. I'm trying to work through my fear of some other things, you know, so that I, I can make some better decisions. But the, the 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 fear it shapes us in some profound ways, and especially if if the, if the fear that is hanging over you is eternal damnation. Mm -hmm. That's that's a heavy weight. Like it, it's not. It's, it's like people have fear over like you know, seriously, like trying to decide. You know. One pair of shoes over another pair of shoes, right? But they have anxiety over that. But man, anxiety over like this internal damnation is not just that, but it's also the decision that that you could possibly be separated from your family for eternity. That kind of fear, uh, it shapes people. It shapes your conscious. It shapes your subconscious. It shapes what you will allow into the conversation. It's almost like the ways in which white supremacy works. There are certain things that black folks just won't ask about blackness, about black people, because the asking of the question itself fundamentally changes or reorders their consciousness in a particular way so they can't see the world the same way they once saw it. So I, mm -hmm. so I think that that's what kicks in. Wow. Yeah. So that's, that's, very, that's a very powerful dynamic there. Um, how did you ultimately overcome that? So I had this thing, you know, I, I, I think it was like, you know, you, 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 I've always been the kind of person like, you know, I, I want to know something. And, and if, 
if it's knowable, I want to know it. If I, if I can't know it, I want to be okay with the fact that I tried everything in my power to know. And so the fact that that I kept coming across these things that were just incongruent, I like I need to you know I need to have an answer for myself. Nobody's giving me the answer for myself. And then you get to a point where you just you reach a point where you got to you know make some decisions. And for me, that's why I was in that whole limbo between I'm a Christian, but I'm kind of not a Christian, right? Because I'm thinking to myself, okay, there's a part of this that just is not true, right? And then you know when I started sitting down, I started staring, saying, well, look, the last pyramid, the Grand Pyramid of Giza, is was built you know, 1,261 years or so before the birth of Moses. So it ain't possible that you could have had an exodus for, because you know, people were building pyramids, because the last pyramid was built like, you know, a millennia before. Right. So I'm like, so the math just don't add up. It ain't like, this ain't, this is not, this is not a rounding error. This is, you know, <laughs> this is a major problem. And this is, and, and this is, this is not disputed. Like this not, like when you, you talk to theologians, theologians, this is, this is not in dispute amongst theologians. Right. Right. And so, and so, so as I was going through this, I'm like, yo, this is, this ain't adding up. And then again, I start, I start thinking, okay, well, look, you know, the Egyptians was African. Moses got pulled into the house. Like, right? you can't bring a white baby into the house and people are like, okay, this is yours. Like, this, the, the, the baby had to look like, the, look like, look like the mama and the papa. Like, so I'm like, I'm thinking, okay, look, so, so Moses was a bruh, was a bruh. Like, so, so now, you know, then you start looking in the whole thing about like Moses, I think it's in Deuteronomy. Where he talks about Moses being a hieromat, and then as I start studying, I understand about what the hieromats were. They were scribes in ancient Egypt. They worked in the temples, and they wrote. And they were scholars, and they were, you know, and they were priests. So that means that this person was was raised in the tradition of, you know, an African an African tradition of knowledge and understanding and spiritual systems. And then I could see how that looked in, you know, because again, I had this 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 appreciation and this talent for having read, you know, being able to read uh, Greek texts. I could read in the original, I could read Hebrew in the original, read Aramaic, so I, so I could study for myself. And I'm like, yo, this this is not adding up, you know? And then, I, you know, then there were things where, you know, there's a part in, in uh, Genesis which says, let's make man in our image after our own likeness. And that the Greek terms for image and likeness are different, right? That, that, the, that the image, that the Greek term for, uh, I can't recall it now, but the Greek term for image had to do with the physical embodiment, but likeness had to do with your essence. So it wasn't like, okay, just like you look like us, but also be like us. I'm like, yo, so I'm sorry, asking these questions. And, and at, at a certain point, like, you know, um, people can't answer. My mom even invited some folks from her church to do an intervention and that didn't go well. You know, hey, none of none, none, none of them read Hebrew, Hebrew or Greek or Aramaic. So that, so the conversation got like well, once we got to like talking about original text, it, it wasn't a dialogue, it was a monologue. Only one person could talk. Right. So it was one of those things. And then my mom got mad at me, like, how do you embarrass my friend? I'm like, I ain't want to invite them over for an intervention. You the one invite them over for intervention. Invite some folks with better skills. <laughs> it could go differently, you know. But I was young and I was arrogant. And, you know, when you learn and stuff, you want to always, you know, at least. When you're young and you're learning stuff, you're going to your consciousness, you know, you never pass an opportunity to, you know, to beat somebody over the head. You know, you, I mean, damn, I, we damn grew up together. So you know how it was when I was young. I was like, yo, I'm coming for you, right? So taking no prisoners. So, yeah, it was just that. And then it was just more like, you know, the more I studied, the more I just recognized that um, uh, that there was more to this, the, even the question of human beingness than we had been led to believe. And that the, the growth part of me was to recognize that it's okay for folks to be Christian. Like, you know, that's their path. That's the path they're walking on. And I could affirm that without it being a threat to the fact that I was moving in a different path. And I took some growth on my part. Mm -hmm. You get the point, okay, that's your path. I'm not going to, you know, just, just as long as you don't try to, like, you know, come over on this lane and try to, you know, check me on mine. And, and I think, you know, you, know, you, you see me. Man. I, when I was young, I was very dogmatic, you know. And, uh, and I just kind of just, you know, you, you grow, right? And you, and you learn to work with people. So 
Yeah, I still think that, you know, if people really interrogate these systems from an African perspective, starting there, that you got to ask some uh, different set of questions than the ones we're currently asking. Yeah, I think people are afraid to ask those questions like you were, like you were saying. And I, I too have had to grow. I think there's this process, we get into all these um, identity models and, and, and growth models. Um, um, although this, we, we are similar in a lot of ways, but we're also different in a lot of ways. You're, you're gonna be more you know, out there and I'm gonna be more, you know, more, you know, the more passive and more nurturing. And, and so I'm not gonna hit people over the head. You're gonna just knock them, <laughs> knock them over the head with it. Um, but at the end of the day, we, we're asking similar types of questions in different ways and trying to get to the answer. Um, ultimately arriving at similar spaces, but going about it in, in, in different routes at times. Um, and so I think that for me, I'm also at a space where I appreciate people walking whatever path they're walking. And I um, certainly want them to do that. Uh, I just want them to do that from a space of critical thinking and not just mm -hmm. accepting it because that's what mom and them did. That's what my grandmother did, right? Why are you, how does this really serve you and what are you getting from it? No matter what it is, um, that's, what I, that's what I really want for people. Um, and so you were able to come into that. Go ahead. So I think that this is, this is a, you touched on a, on a point that I think is salient here, which is the question of critical thinking. And I'm always frustrated when I hear uh, educators say that they are teaching critical thinking skills. Because human beings come here with critical thinking skills. Anybody ever watch a baby, you tell the baby, don't touch that. And as soon as you turn your back, the baby reach for the thing you told them that, that not to touch, know that that baby got critical thinking skills. Mm -hmm. So human beings have critical thinking skills. The question is about where they choose to apply it and not to apply it is, is, the, is, the, is the challenge. And you know, so when we say like, so for me, it's always about like, how do we encourage people to apply a skill they already have to another area, right? When I was a hustler, I had critical thinking skills. That's how I survived. But then as a graduate student, I had to apply those critical thinking skills in a different way to a different kind of dynamic. And so for me, you know, that, that's the issue. Like, okay, well, and even, you know, I think that the same thing can be said for these African spiritual systems. You and I have been in for a while now. We're at the, there's an absence sometimes of, of a willingness to apply critical thinking in those areas, right? You know, to really sort of, you know, so, right? So, so they're bringing that critical thinking to interrogating the Abrahamic tradition, but not that same, uh, analytics to you know assessing you know uh, Isheshe or Ifa mm -hmm. or the Akan tradition or Sangoma or some of the others. So, so the critical thinking piece is important. And, and again, the question of fear, like so, fear puts you in a position where I'm not going, I'm not going to apply this skill here. Right. But I'll apply it here. We're safer. Right. right. So, <laughs> right. right. I'll, I'll attack this one, but not, not. And it's not even so much attack. It's right. Just, right. You know, right. Just questioning, which I think helps us to deepen and continue to evolve and transform and elevate ourselves. Like that, that's, there's a reason why you had to be in, in Kemet, uh, in, in, in Egypt, you had to be in a space of study for 30, 40, 50 years before you could get into the inner sanctum. There was a process. You didn't just, you know, take a weekend class and it, it, it was all good, right? There was a process of study mm -hmm. that folks had to engage in. Um, and I think that's one of the things that, you know, our society wants to rush things a lot, right? Get the quick fix answers. Um, it, you know, I ask people all the time, um, if you look at the pictures of 
the, the black Madonna, <laughs> right? How can you look mm -hmm. at that picture and then look at this other picture of this blonde hair, blue eyed Jesus? How do you do that and make that make sense? <laughs> right? Yeah, but again, that's the, that's the question of fear, right? Fear, fear, fear forces you to, to sometimes imagine options that, that aren't really real. Like that's the, that's just a, that's just the nature of it. Like, so, you know, and I think that's, we don't talk about that enough. Like we don't really give space to the ways in which fear shape and give contour to people's lives. Right. You know, as young black men, we were told early on about like how they're engaged police officers, how to talk to white folks in certain kinds of spaces. Right. And so after the, it was concern, but it was also fear that was driving the ways in which our parents were trying to shape us in terms of how we move into the world. And so, and again, it becomes a function of what, you know, fear can be the kind of thing that shapes what you see versus what you don't see. Like, mm -hmm. like in other words, you literally can't see the contradiction because you're so afraid. Right. And I think that that's part of the, part of the challenge. It's like, you know, the, you know uh, uh, what the Baldwin says, you know, if I love you, you know, it's my job to make you a, a conscious of the things that you can't see. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I think that's part of you know at least my part you know early on as a younger person the love part was out of it like I was just coming from it too hard but right. now it's more like you know but like because we love someone mm -hmm. right? and I, I think this can be said true I mean this is certainly true in in the Abrahamic traditions that especially ones that proselytize right they gonna they come knock on your door or they stop you on the corner and ask you if you accept Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior they don't ask you if you've eaten or if you got a, if you have a home or nothing like because they're not interested in you. Interested in, in the object, right? Like, you know, how do I gather this object for my, you know, I gain brownie points within the system of salvation. So mm -hmm. I think that there's a part of that, that that we have to really sort of unpackage. I think that's true across the board. I think it's true when we talk about whether it's psychology. I hope we talk about this too, about the whole, this whole um, phenomena of psychologists as healers, which is problematic. But because I think that there's all these things that are really not, not about us actually. Uh, unpacking things in ways that ask us to confront our fears and as you know like you know just in, in these systems that's one of the things that, that you you encounter often is that your progress is oftentimes limited by your fears right right and your your willingness to take them on or sidestep them mm -hmm. and and how the sidestepping of the fear ends up taking on detours that you realize okay it's been better on to take, go go head up with the fear and all these detours they have to do. So I think there's a point part of, of conversations about spirit, spirituality and growth and fear. That's, you know, that, that's a critical part of the, the discussion that's often left out of it. Well, let's jump into that um, a little more and kind of elaborate on that um, and, and kind of uh, say a little bit more about how you're seeing that and why do you think that is the case that it exists? Right. So, I think you know in general, like you know, beings have a have an investment in protecting the their version of themselves, and and uh, and their and their identity. So anything that that uh, challenges their version of themselves or their existence, their sense of beingness, um, is met with with you know uh, severe. Uh, defenses, right? So we're seeing this now as, you know, in the, in the country, part of the whole rise in, in Trumpism is, is about the fact that the demographics in the country are changing. And that means that the way that, that white folks have to think about what it means to be American is forcing them to question their own beingness. And that's causing some 
uh, uh, militant and nationalistic and, and misanthropic or anti-human responses. So and the same thing is true for humans at a, at, a, at a base level, right? Anytime you, anytime there's a shift in, uh, in identity, of course, you to change how you, you, you see yourself. So if somebody says that I'm a man and I'm gay, and you have defined manhood as being strictly a heterosexual phenomenon, their identification of, of, of being a man and gay is seen as being a challenge to your notion. It's not, they don't, it's not, you don't care about them being gay. You care about the fact that it's forcing you now to have to really interrogate your own ideas about what it means to be a man and to, and to examine those fears. And that's the pushback. So human beings have a natural um, response to protect themselves and their image of themselves. That's why in every society, I don't care where you go, there's always a, things are built around certain identities, certain roles, certain responsibilities. And that almost all rights of passage programs are really, you know, well, well so all indigenous rights of passage um, elements are built around the whole idea that you got to encounter your fears and overcome them, right? Every, every tradition is about that, right? And so even the way that we shape the dissertation defenses are about still like overcoming your fears. You go into that, you go into the den, the den, so to speak, to present and defend your work. And I think that the 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 challenge here is that uh, we have built a society that that makes it um, uh, enviable or admirable to live inside your fear. And so and so and so everybody has built identities around a comfort zone of fear. Not about like expanding yourself. So, mm-hmm. in education, you know, you, you go from K through twelve, right? The whole whole enterprise of K through twelve is about developing people for export, right? So this is the developmental psychologist talking. So, all, the whole uh, process is about how you are shaped, so you how you present yourself to the world, and it starts in your home. Your mom tells you to say yes, no, maybe, thank you. How you present yourself, right? So. From K through 12, your whole education is about how you present yourself to the world. Nowhere in that process are you learn, are you taught to learn about you? Are you taught to, to understand how to master what, uh, what Baba Naim Akbar would say, Dr. Naim would say, the community of self? Everything is about export only. And so you have an identity that's shaped by other people's perceptions of you. And there's an investment in protecting that. And so as people, anytime, anytime somebody challenges something that will unravel that, it's also a threat to unravel a series of relationships that you have had. And so people tend to like to be really narrow and to not, um, you know, social media is all about this. Social media is also about, always about curating an image for export, you know, not, not about the, the, not about putting out stuff that, that actually invites people into the interior, to invite people to experience the part of yourself that you have curated for them to enjoy. And in fact, interrogations of the interior are oftentimes met with vitriol, where you challenge somebody on the thread when they say something and, and you disagree with it, then all of a sudden now that other person shows up. So I think that the fear part is is a critical part of both. Our, you know, this bed not because you're a therapist. Like, is a critical part of like your inner psychic work, therapy, getting people counter their their fears. Um, so there's 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 kind of a group think that happens. Um, it's like when people are surrounded by people who think like them. And anybody that dares not to think like them is going to get chastised, banished. You're going to be excluded or seen as the other. And so you have to have a strong um, makeup in order to be willing to stand up to that and speak your truth. Not that it has to be, quote unquote, right, but it is a way of, you know, 
both of our one of our both of our favorite authors, Yikwe uh, Arma, uh, mm -hmm. and his mm -hmm. thing in the healers is always asking questions and never never being settled on an answer, but being willing to ask the next question and the next question and the next question. And most of these systems really kind of run counter to that. They don't want the next mm. question. They want everybody doing the same thing and let's keep keep the status quo, <laughs> right? And so, yeah, so but, so, so, but it's also like undergirding all of that is this idea that, okay, but there's somebody else in control of everything. And if that's not true, then it changes the nature of how you have to show up in the world too, right? So, right. so the, the, the other part of it, the other part of this is also about the fact, okay, look, if, if there's not a God in charge, right, within shit, like, okay, so it means I, it's on me. Right. And, you know, and I know me and I don't know if I, I don't know if I got it in me to, right. know, to make this happen. So, right. so there's a so, so, there's responsibility. Right, 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 right. So, so you, so there's always, there's a built-in mechanism uh, in some ways that safeguards you from having to fully engage the range and scope of the responsibility for your choices and actions because it's always a built-in mechanism. And this is true across all of the systems. Like it is, it's not just, not that Abramag is true in African spiritual traditions too, that we, you know, we, 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 we feel comfortable offloading our responsibility onto uh, some, a, a larger, a larger divine being and it frees us and it takes away the fear. Because again, you know, if, 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 that, if, that, if I'm the one that has to find the divinity in me, there's a different level of pressure different level of responsibility, different level of accountability, yeah. uh, a different level of, of the way that you have to measure your choices and decisions. And if, but if it's not, if it's not up to me, then, then that's taken off me. And I don't, I don't have to have that. I don't have to have that kind of fear. Like, and, and, and again, I don't think that fear is always a bad thing. Right. Cause I, cause you know, cause, but, but I think that it's like, like all forms of energy, it, it, ha it has to be, it depends on how it is used. That determines whether or not it is good or 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 bad. Um, if it, if it's used as something to elevate you or to 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 provide you with some sense of discernment, right? You know, like so, if I'm walking down the street and I see six cats walking towards me, all dressed in white sheets and hoods, and then I fear it causes me to move in the other direction. That that fear serves as an act of discernment that that moves me out of that, right? So, so it's not. But it's again, the question is about how we employ it, and, is, and if we're in charge of it or if it's in charge of us. Yeah, I think there's another level to that too. Um, not only in just kind of offloading responsibility to God or the Creator, higher being, it's also in the person that is your spiritual leader in whatever tradition mm. that might be, right? So that mm -hmm. person stands in the gap, so to speak, and so I can say that person is responsible for me. So I don't have to think; mm -hmm. I just need to listen to what this person is telling me to do, and I, I, as we're talking through this, I'm, I'm realizing that's that's been one of my things. I don't want to be responsible for anybody. I got information. Mm. I can share some information. I'll help you with your information. But you are responsible for walking your path. And that is something that hasn't been a popular, popular thing to do. Let's just, it runs counter mm. to a lot of the traditions and circles and, 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 and that. And so I, you know, I kind of just do my own thing in a sense. And just um, those that want information from me can get it. 
But again, I'm not trying to tell nobody what to do, live nobody life for them. Just you are responsible for your connection to God. But by and large, the vast majority of our population are like sheep. They want to be led rather than finding it for their own selves. Do you, you find that to be true as well? Yeah, but, but, I, but I think that's a, that's a function of, you know, how we have been educated. So we've been educated to, you know, in other words, that we've been, one, we've been educated not to really, to, to not apply critical thinking to certain areas, but also the nature of the society itself militates against it. So in other words, our society is, is such a fast paced society that you almost don't have time to think. And we know that then generally, if you give anybody to, to, to do a task they're normally competent at and speed them up, they make mistakes. Because mm-hmm. the faster you have to do it, the more mistakes you make. And so the nature of our society, we all have this, like, you know, you, between trying to, you know, uh, respond to text messages and emails and calls and, and, and work, like sometimes man, you, you, you was present for something, but you wasn't there. Like, like you, you completely missed all of it. Exactly. And I think that that's a lot. So, so in that both instance, what happens is, right, right. So in that instance, is just easier to, to go with the flow, go with whatever everybody else is doing, because you ain't got time to really think about everything. Right. So, that, so I think that the, the, that that the the nature of the society is, is 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 set up in such a way that that it it, it militates against people having this because thinking is a, is a deliberative process. You need time to think, mm-hmm. and the, the 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 speed of our society, which is why I, I told I, I've said this before. That the that the that the that the major social justice activist of the of of the moment is the pandemic. The pandemic was the thing that really drove most of the movements because people had time to think, they had time to see, they had time to observe. If any, if George Floyd gets killed outside of the, of the parameters of the pandemic, it's just one more black man that's been killed. We had seen, you know, it's legions of them, black men and women who have been killed. But the pandemic made people have to to slow down because we had shelter in place, and that provided space for people to think and to reflect and to think about the world in different ways and look at their surroundings. So so part of it is just the the speed of the game. It it changes the you know people's people's ability to respond to it. And part of it is that uh, from very early on as, as kids we are we are socialized uh, to gravitate towards narratives that end neatly. Right? All of the fairy tales that we're told, you know, everything is designed for a happily ever after kind of dynamic. Mm-hmm. Right. There's there's no there's no fairy tales or anything where where the person take an L at the end. Like it's always it always works out in the end. And so that narrative of this, oh, you know, the, the, even the Bible's told me at the end of the day Jesus is resurrected. So it's so it's always going to work out in the end. And so that part of it uh, has has produced a society that is a comfortable narrative that fit a, a very narrow set of assumptions that is always going to work out. That somebody's in, in control, that is in charge, and it's easy to go with the flow. And the, and and the narratives that complexify that are the ones that tend tend to be pushed to the margin. Mm-hmm. So so part of it is just you know, the, the the nature of how we we've all been educated and socialized, and and that that religious uh, narratives also drive that that point home. That it's all going to work out in the end. Mm-hmm. You know. Okay. All right. So let's let's shift gears and 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 talk about your own personal um, walk and how you have come to understand spirit currently in the mechanisms or the vehicles that you use to allow spirit to manifest in your life. Okay, so so first, to, to just make the distinction you know, here, for me, religion and um, 
and spiritness, which is uh, Dr. Noble's term, and spirituality are different things. So mm -hmm. religion is simply, you know, technically it's, it's the process by which one connects themselves to God. That's all it is, right? It is literally how, how you bind yourself to God. And, uh, and spirituality is the, the quality of that, that bonding process, right? It, it literally is the quality of the bonding process. Spiritness is just the thing that we all have. We all have spirit in us. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so I said to say, because people, when people say spirituality, they presuppose that spirituality means good. And it does, it means it's, it's an assessment of quality. So, which is, the, which is why spirit, spirituality, the ality is, is the quality dynamic. So it means that, that the quality of one's spirit can be poor. So you can have poor spirituality you can have good spirituality, right? And so again, because we only, we tend to think about this in very um, biased perspectives, that spirituality, by definition, is good, and that's not true. That 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 you that somebody can have uh, be involved in a negative spirituality, somebody can be involved in a good spirituality, somebody can be involved in a, a, a heightened quality of spirituality, somebody can be in a lower vibration quality of spirituality. So, but again, it's about how one engages the spirit in their lives and so on and so forth. And that's, to me, that's, a, that's a, for me, that's been an important part of understanding my own uh, growth and development, right? That other words, it's just because I'm initiated into a, a, a couple of, you know, African spiritual systems, did not necessarily mean that I was a good person or a better person, right. or, that, that, or that African spirituality in and of itself was good. It was, it was what I did within the context of that tradition and how I lived my life that determined whether or not my, whether whether or not it was an elevated spirituality or a lower vibration spirituality, mm -hmm. and that's part of the, the the challenge is that you know we run up against this in, in in our traditions because a lot of our traditions are also heavily influenced by Abrahamic traditions, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of us have come into these traditions because we were raised Christians or Muslim, you know, and so. We're bringing some of the baggage to that, that you know, uh, with we're transporting some of that baggage from those traditions to these new traditions, right? So we bring the same kind of understanding, you know, that there's always a definitive good and always a definitive evil, and sometimes it's it's context, you know, that it's not that, that the behavior itself is neither good nor bad. The context sort of defines it. So for me, you know, like you, I, I, you know, I was fortunate when I when I was you know, I was getting my reading. I was first getting initiated into into to Isheshe or Ifa. I was told I didn't have to be anybody's godparent, which was great for me because I didn't want to do that. Like I was like, you know, I, I understood that I didn't want to be responsible for other people in that way unless it was my decision. Like so, unless I had children or you know, I'm in a, a position of authority that I've accepted, and now I have responsibility for. I, I just felt like that was. That was too much responsibility for me to to to, to handle. Hey, I, I just didn't want. It. I didn't want to be worried about what what not you were gonna do what was what was said on the mat or not. I was like, okay, you do it, not do it. That's your business. So for me, the the the, the walk has been, um, and sometimes in groups, sometimes solitary, and that has freed me to to interrogate things. You know, like so for instance, like people can talk about you know Adam and Eve and and the idea that you take a rib from from Adam to make Eve, and that's just ridiculousness. But so too is a chicken, you know, kicking earth, kicking dirt around to create earth. But that's the one we use in Ephah, right? Like so, right? So, so, like so, so God sent a chicken down, a chicken kick earth, kick dirt around. That's how you form earth. That 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 ain't a that ain't a superior answer, 
<laughs> to the rib, to the McRib question, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> or, or, or the idea that, or, or the idea that Ile Ife is in Nigeria, even though all the evidence tells us that the more we, the, the further we dig, that the origins of human being is, is going to be in Southern Africa. That's that's everything is telling us that. Like it, it, it's not it's not taking us more into the into uh, what is now common common day Nigeria or to West Central Africa. It's telling us that every time we find an older and older um, skeletons, they're taking us further and further down to Southern and South Africa. So again, you know, so it's not like, you know, but for me, because I always had this point where like, I could ride with you until you was going someplace. I just couldn't ride with you no more than I would go my, my own path. Right. And, uh, and honestly, that, that has been both um, a source of success and sorrow. You know, like I, I have, um, I have been saddened by the times that I've had to go off and I've lost a lot. You know, you, you lose a lot sometimes of being a maverick in that way. You know, you, you, uh, you lose connections, you lose friendships, you lose, honestly, you lose your way sometimes. Cause as you know, everybody going this way. And if they're going this way, you go with them, at least you don't, you don't know where you're going, but you know who you're going with and that's comforting. Mm-hmm. And when you kind of break off and do your own thing. And I think that for me, that was also critical for uh, another part that I think you intimate on, which is that basically Early on in my development, I gave too much power to the people who were who were teaching me Ishe and Ifa. Like I like I literally didn't take back my own uh, power and authority, and that was out of fear because I had you know I had and one I had given them a, a lot of power, to be honest. B, I had invested in, in the notion that they were all knowing and all powerful in this arena, and if I and if I and if I broke from them or disagreed, then all of the good things they had done for me or they had given me. I would be lost without them. So I made so again, out of fear, you make a decision to compromise yourself, right? Because it's just safer to go along. And I think that, you know, well, as you mature, hopefully you recognize, okay, look, it's more important for me to like who I look, who I see in the mirror in the morning when I'm shaving than anybody else. You get to that point, like look, you know, the most important relationship I gotta have with it is me. That relationship gotta be good. And if that relationship is good, I can rock with all the other ones. And so that was also part of a critical part for me of like, you know, recognizing that that um some folks I was working with, uh, it wasn't good for me, and that I was not to, I was not to work it out on my own, and uh, and that's hard. That's hard, you know. And so, and that, again, that's true across all of the all of the faiths. Whether you're a Christian, yeah, I just yeah. the same fear is true there. So I think that for me, that part, you know, of always um, uh, find the point which okay, I need to, you know, I need to, I got what I need to get here. I need to move on to the next thing. It was always taking me to be. It reminds me of, um, you know, Malcolm X and, mm. you know, the, the, the way, cause, and I've had a similar process as well, you know, in terms mm. of dealing with, um, you know, folks that was working with me and that I had to um, just ultimately break away from. But Malcolm X was down for, you know, Honorable Elijah Muhammad. And he, I mean, he was w- literally willing to give his life. And then when presented with things that were contradictory and did not make sense to him, that he could not just say, okay, I'm just gonna go along with this, it caused problems for him, right? So that, that's, that's a, mm. a, a great example of what you just described in terms of right. um, people giving away their um, ability to think and, and giving it to that leader as opposed to making the path for themselves. And you also giving away some of your identity too, because your identity is tied to that person and to that group, right? So, you know, even with Malcolm, it was like, okay, his, 
his identity was tied to the nation of Islam. And without the nation of Islam, he had a hard time. He struggled to figure out who he was. And it's the same thing, you know, when you when you break away. It's like you still, and again, that that's you know, more broadly why people struggle with the idea of change and growth, because every change, it's the same thing, you know, my family is heavily Christian. Is I being a pool, you know, pull, you know, change my orientation, it caused tension in my family. Mm-hmm. And but again, it was like, okay, well, it because it meant everybody had to reorder the nature of their relationships. And and that was tough, but I, again, like for me, I was like, this is the path I got to go on, and, and so on and so forth. So, but again, I, I, you know, for me, I think that there's a we don't we don't invest in people's ability to be able to develop the kind of uh, trust in themselves, mm-hmm. so that they can make the decision that leads to their highest destiny and trust their path, right? We, we what we do is we develop in people that people got to always co- somebody got to co-sign on it in order for it to be true. Right. And I think this goes back to the idea that, you know, like these systems, you know, we could talk about like, you know, even an EFI, right? EFI is fundamentally a relationship between you and all of the energies in the cosmos and how you find the best way to work with them to achieve what it was you were sent here to, to achieve, what you were sent here to achieve. Your and that and that your destiny and that then that folks who are also similarly situated y'all work together almost as companions because y'all are all you all understand the nature of the work mm-hmm. and the growth right when it becomes a religion that's when it becomes it becomes a problem because now it's no longer about um pursuing the things that you need to do for your own elevation it's about figuring out whether or not those things are, are, are okay with the the larger doctrine of what the religion says so and if the two are in conflict then you must always be wrong right and so that's, so part of what happens is that at some point, as you move through these, these systems, as they get more dogmatic, you also you also end up figuring out how much do you have to compromise about what is meant for you against the larger needs of this uh, this larger collective. And, and as I was telling my students, like, look, the human beings didn't create the cosmos. The cosmos created human beings. Mm-hmm. So that means that everything that everything that is in us is a is a product of what the cosmos produced. So to the extent that you are able to understand that is the extent you're able to tap into your power and that these systems are better, in my opinion, than some of the Abrahamic traditions in doing that because they at least engage these energies, right? Whether we call them Arisha, whether we call them Rob's, you know, whether we call them uh, Abbasum, you know, all these different uh, terms for these the spiritual or these elemental forces of nature, um, we are better when we learn how to figure out how we operate in harmony with them. And that's the nature of, of, of these systems, how to operate in harmony with the, with the cosmos that produced you. That's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the gist of it. Right. Um, I think that part gets lost. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like the way that you put that. And I think that if more, if, if that dynamic were prevalent more in our society, a lot of the, the strife and the drama would just go away. But then that's where ego comes into play. <laughs> and um, folks wanted to feel a certain way or be important and allow that to get in and influence what it is that they're doing um, rather than working to help that person find their space in the cosmos. You know, there, there, there are a few people that do it and I, and I really um, like it when I see it done, but by and large, it's not happening um enough and in fact um it is looked down upon 
like you describe yourself as a maverick or like mm. when you're going against the group, you're speaking bad against the mm. group, it is a problem, which even in, you know, whatever the doctrine is, the interpretations of the of that doctrine can vary depending on what part of the city you're in, let alone what part of the country you're in. Right. So then you have that. And that's also within, um, that, that goes across um, spiritual traditions as well. So here's where, here's where it gets sticky. So they're, they're like, you know, these are, these are, are, are systems that are designed around the ability to be able to work well with specific uh, elemental forces and and developing a, a, a specific skill set about the proper way to, to work with those developmental forces. So you, so it's important to have certain kinds of rituals because the rituals are the things that ensure quality, uh, sort of like quality assurance, right? So so you need the rituals, right? So like, like so you can't just, you know, you can't be, be out here in the streets with a, with, with just a, 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 a your mama's iron skillet to mama invoking Ogun. They don't work that way. Like there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, a ritual for doing it. in the same way that there's a, there's a ritual for making gumbo, right? If, if you make gumbo and you ain't got no roux, you ain't got gumbo. Right. <laughs> you just got good taste in soup, but you ain't got gumbo. Everybody understand that now people got different ways that, you know, which they add stuff to gumbo, but, but the fundamental thing that makes gumbo gumbo, there's no disagreement, mm -hmm. right? And so, so the so and that's where ritual comes. So ritual is important because ritual is sort of like the quality assurance thing to make sure that basically the basic protocols of working with this energy are followed. But then there are the variations that you add to it after you follow the basic recipe. After you've done your rule, after that you want you know some you want to add andouille sauce. It's cool. If you're a vegan, you want to go something different. You know, all right. those kinds of things are, are how you sort of you know. And so, so the the ritual part is important. And what, what happens is, is that the ways in which people try to ensure that the ritual is concretized is by the dogma. Mm -hmm. so, so, the, so, the, so the dogma is there to really sort of ensure that rituals are here in a certain way. The problem is that dogmas always overreach, right? So they overreach to the point that, that they, they, they make the ritual the whole thing and not that it's the, it's the, it's the base and that, that they're improvisations, right? You know, this is true across the board, right? Just right. like the, the stuff that we do over here is different than what they would do in Oshogbo or in Benin, right? Because again, each environment, but the, but the, but the basic things here, the right. basic protocols of how someone invokes Eshu or Ushun or Ogun or how they work with that energy, that's true. But then there's all these other things that people learn along the way. And I think that part gets lost because in my opinion, we have taken what is basically supposed to be a science and made it a religion. Mm -hmm. And so, because the science is about trial and error, you figure out what works and what doesn't work based on experimentation. Mm -hmm. And religion is like, no, you don't try anything new. You just go with what's tried and true and you believe that it's gonna work out for the best. Right. And so and so religion, religion it, it abhors innovation and trial and error. Whereas science by its very nature, which means simply to know, invites it. And so, what happens is, is that a system is based on the idea of innovation and and trying different things. Like how does somebody how does somebody figure out that okay this particular elbow we should use a pigeon and some red like that's nobody that don't just happen that's trial and error. Right. And so I, again, I think that we we have lost the idea of these are really um, sciences for how to work with the cosmos at its at its core. And I think you know as I've thought about that. Um, 
because people I've heard people say, oh, they're doing it the wrong way or, or that's not the way you do this thing. And for me, it's always, did they get the results? Did the results come out? That's the empirical right. evidence. Did they get right, what it right. was that they were looking for? If they did, then it worked. And furthermore, with you know the, 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 the slave trade and the horrors of that, there were things that were lost that couldn't be done in the same way that it was done right. you know, at its place of origin. And so people, through their meditation, through their mind, through their, through their inspiration from the creator, got what they needed to get in the science, the trial and error, to create the things that then worked in their new space and the evolution of that. So if it can happen for one person, it can happen for all of us. And so, yes, we may have done it this way for the past 200 years, but that doesn't mean that it can now evolve right now in 2020 and it not be wrong. Because again, the science says, are you getting the results? But many people aren't willing to come outside of that because the tradition and the ritual, which is, which I agree is very important. Maladoma Somme has a great book um, about ritual that I, that I would recommend for folk. Um, but the ritual cannot turn into dogma. I, I, you know, mm-hmm. I think that's where it, be, it becomes dangerous. That might be right. too strong of a word, but it becomes limiting. Let me say it that way, um, as opposed to being unlimited. Like when I really think about the power of working with all the elemental energies that exist in the universe, that's untapped. That means nothing is impossible because every single thing that we see, our ability to talk, you're on all the way in California, 3,000 miles away, and we can see each other and talk and have this conversation right. through particles and airwaves. We don't know all the details about how it works. But we, everybody's zooming and, and having these conversations with people because that, that came out of somebody's head, the ability to create a system to be able to do that, right? So if that can come out of somebody's head, even greater things can come out of each and every one of our heads, right? Because we all have that capacity if we tap into it. And, and, and you make a great point. So look, Basically, all, all the all the everything that you just laid out there is basically our ability to figure out how to work with the elemental forces of the cosmos, right? Right. The the fiber optic technology, our ability to be able to to uh, transmit, you know, uh, bits and uh, quantum information back and forth. All of that is about what what folks over time have learned about the how to work with the energies in, in the physical universe. The, the, we, I think African spiritual traditions have something to offer that's different than what the West has offered is that African traditions recognize that we live in a sacred cosmos. So all these energies, they're alive. They have consciousness too. Mm-hmm. And so while somebody says some, while somebody says something is an electron or a proton, we say Eshu uh, or we say Ogun, right? In other words, like we, we see the world as alive everything is anim- is imbued with energy that has vitality and purpose and meaning and that the key to really growth and development is how you cultivate relationships right anybody who is initiated into any of these systems learns that one of the most important things you know is to figure out you know if you initiated it as a priest of Eshuo Ogun, the most important thing first is learn wh- wh- how to work that relationship your right. relationship there 
mm-hmm. right? As, as you become an Awo, how to work and what's the relationship between you and a Rumalan Ifa, right? So, so again, because we see energy as alive and having consciousness, it's about relationship building. In the West, everything is an object. So it's about how you dominate, mm-hmm. master, mm-hmm. hold down, manipulate, right? So right. The, the fundamental processes are, are different. And I think this is where we can, we have a lot to offer us you know, in terms of understanding how we find ways to cultivate those relationships. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, that's, that's good stuff there. You know, we, we're gonna have to bring you back because some of these uh, concepts, we haven't been able to go into the detail of what they are. We've talked about various aspects of them in previous podcasts, but for people who may be new to it, there, there are things that we need to break down with the basic understanding. So um, we're gonna come back and go deeper into the practical application of kind of your path in EFI um, and any other paths that you might be uh, involved with and look at what that looks like for you on a day-to-day basis um, in a practical sense so people can make it, make it make sense in a real time um, way, follow what I'm saying. Yeah, I think I think we got yeah I think I think we got more philosophical this time. And that's that, but, you know, but, but, but but also yeah. a lot of the phil, a lot we needed to get philosophical because some of the questions that we're raising I think are questions that people will appreciate. Um, some of which people already think about but may not feel comfortable giving voice to because it's not. Mm-hmm popular to talk about this kind of stuff. Um, But also, if you haven't thought about it, it may spark something that makes you say, hmm, I need to explore that a little further. I need to challenge myself to go deeper and wider and look at why I'm doing whatever it is that I'm doing. Um, Ultimately, as I always say, I'm not trying to tell anybody what to do. I just want people to um, know that what they're doing is what their spirit wants them to do and that they're always open to continued growth and, and development along their path. You're doing that, I'm I'm good. And even if you're not, I'm good. Yeah, I, you know, it's your path. And I think that, you know, one of, I think one of the things that all religions um, aim to do on some level or another is to bring you into confrontation with yourself. And, you know, one of the things that, that Ifa has done for me is that bring me into confrontation with myself around some things I have fears around, right? So one thing that I have a fear around, just in terms of full disclosure, I have a fear of success. I don't have a fear of failure. I have a fear of success. And, and, and the ways in which that fear of success has moved me to pass on certain opportunities or not develop certain opportunities, so on and so forth. So again, you know, part of my part of my own process and part of the reason why I've been initiated was that I needed certain things that were going to move me to engage myself around this fear of success because it's, it's inhibiting my growth. And so, you know, I think that's, you know, I think all systems, if they, if they don't do that, then, then they're failing you. They don't bring you to a point where you got to, you know, come in contact with the things that are getting in your way of your growth. And sometimes I think some systems give you an out because, you know, hey, you know, if I pray to Jesus, Jesus is just going to make a way. Well, no, you you decide not to study for that that, that bar. They didn't they, 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 they on Jesus, that on you. Right. So right. I think there's a part of that, you, that, that you got, that you got, that you have to ride with. And I think some systems, when they are when they operate well, they they do that better than others. The other thing I'd like to say, just as we close, is that um, I'd like to, of course, in the next conversation, to talk about the the ways in which I think psychology and 
these traditions dovetail and the ways in which psychology and these traditions are at odds and, and harmful to the growth of, mm. of uh, uh, black folks uh, continued uh, spiritual development. Okay, that's, we're, we got that teed up. So we got, <laughs> yes, we definitely need to hit that. Um, so <laughs> we'll be making that happen because uh, folks yeah. need to hear it and we need to be putting it out there. So, um, all right, well, this time has flown by. We, we could keep going for another couple hours. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but we got to wrap it. <laughs> and, um, and we'll come yeah. back to it though. And if y'all, right. as always, if folks have questions, feel free to contact contact me with the questions. You know, the information is always there. And uh, I thank you for engaging this conversation with me. My brother, we have had many, many years of conversations about this kind of stuff. And it's good to be <laughs> able to, you know, bring it to the masses and, and get additional input yeah. from folks about, you know, things yeah. we're thinking about. Challenge us to even extend, extend our thinking even further. So... I appreciate yeah, it. It's, it's, it's good to be with you and it's good to, to see you uh, growing in this particular format and, uh, you know, expanding, you know, expanding the good trouble I got you into early <laughs> when we were younger. Uh, indeed, indeed. You are responsible for this. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. All right. So, all right, well, we're going to go ahead and sign off. And we thank you all for listening and joining us in this conversation again. And we'll be back to continue this uh, in another session in the future. Um, and until then, everybody stay safe. And we extend peace and blessings to all of you. Good night. Yeah, talking about spirit. So in closing, we'd like to encourage you to embrace the concept of change and learning something new. Continue to evolve, continue to transform, continue to thrive, and find your own personal path to tapping into spirit. And I was obviously too blind and probably too weak to see who was responsible for my losing streak.